0: When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in
1: more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Well, I see you got your brand new leopard skin pillbox hat. Yes, I see you got your brand new leopard skin pillbox hat. Well, you must tell me, baby, how your head feels under something like that, under your brand new leopard skin pillbox hat. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, One Song at a Time, proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheelin', Rob Kelly, and joining us this week to talk about, of course, Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat" from 1966's Blonde on Blonde is professor and author Caroline Haygood. Hi, Caroline. Hi. It's
0: so great to be here talking about this really surreal and, and weird, wonderful song. <laughs>
1: I'm very happy to have you here. It's, it's so funny, the connections that get made uh, for me on the show, because uh, I, one day on Twitter, uh, I just saw this, this tweet that you posted about, you had a photo of Bob, like in your office, and I guess somebody, one of your students, or someone uh, who obviously is not, you know, super kept up with what, who Bob Dylan is, asked you, I think, is that your husband? Was that, was that the that exactly.
0: question? Exactly, and I just thought it was <laughs>
1: I, yes. I just, yes, it, was it is.
0: Well, I know. I thought it was such a wonderful generational issue, right? That, <laughs> that, you know, that, that she didn't know who Bob Dylan was, that I had this picture that she thought it was my husband, just the whole thing. And, and I, it was really all I could do not to be like, yes, that is my
1: husband. <laughs> Right. <laughs> he wrote a whole album about me. It's really yeah. quite it's really quite amazing. Yeah. It really
0: it wasn't Edie Cedric, it was me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just oh my God, that's just that's absolutely fantastic. So uh of course, like I said, we're here to talk about leopard skin, pillbox hat, which I said it's from, from Blonde on Blonde. And you mentioned Edie Cedric will will definitely come up in this uh conversation. But before we get to that, I want to ask you Caroline, uh how you became a fan and also I do want I know that you uh use some of Dylan's work in your classes. And so I want to hear about that too, how that has made it into your, you know, your lessons.
0: Definitely. Well, I became a fan. I mean, you know, he, he's just wonderful. Um, And I just think he's such a writer's musician and, you know, such a writer and obviously he's won prizes to prove that. Um, And, you know, he, he, it's so poetic. Um, So just, you know, I've used him in poetry creative writing classes, but I've also just used him in uh, general composition and essay writing classes as prompts, right? So just you know, playing some of these songs and having students just write on you know what on earth they think the song could mean. Hmm. Um, and and one of the most fun songs to do that with is um, "Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat" because it's so infinitely interpretable. <laughs> And even just the way that there's been all these different interpretations of it, and then meanwhile you have Bob Dylan, who's you know kind of famously against interpretation in that way, saying no, it's about a hat. Like I think I saw it in a in a store window. (laughs) It's about a hat. Almost like the cigar is just a cigar.
1: Um, He loves doing that to people. I think
0: (laughs) exactly. And it's so hard to tell because he because because he's such a trickster and such a mischief maker. You know, in the way that he treats his own work but I've gotten just such interesting responses from students or even just when I play Bob Dylan, you know, when they're walking into a writing class, you know, even I've used it in all sorts of different ways. And especially since a lot of them don't listen to or don't know Bob Dylan, um, case in point, the fact that that somebody thought a photo of him was my, you know, was my um, husband. Um, yeah, and it and it just brings out such great in-class conversation and such great writing.
1: So how did you yourself become like did you uh, what was the what was the kind of impetus to, to that and how did how did that take form did you go just start grabbing albums I mean everyone's story is always a little bit different
0: oh totally well so in this case um for me music started very much with my dad um so he had this incredible record collection and it worked out so well because his music was still thought of as so cool you know when I was young Um, so it remained relevant somehow. I wonder if my kids are really going to be, are really going to, if we're going to share music in the same way, if it's going to overlap as much, but, you know, my friends were all listening to Bob Dylan and my dad had this great collection and we would listen to it together. And my dad, my dad is, um, you know, also writes a lot and, and is really, you know, creative. And so I think we both just enjoyed him as such a writer's musician, um, his lyrics um, and all of that. And it was just – it was also a way of bonding with my dad. Hmm.
1: Now, obviously, you said you're coming at it from more on the writer side, which it tends to be mine as well because, like I've said in numerous episodes, I can't speak to the music musicality of it because I just don't know that world. Uh, so, obviously, we're quoting lyrics heavily. But, like – so, obviously, the voice was – it worked for you because there were a lot of people who love to kind of pay Bob that backhanded compliment of well, well, he's a great writer, which is leaving out the whole other half of the performing artist part. Yeah, but obviously when you heard the voice, it was the marriage of those two things. It was mean, you, you. It was like oh, I also I like what he's saying, but I also like that literally the tone of how he's doing.
0: Yeah, I can feel his i feel him when he sings i know that sounds very it sounds kind of silly but um you know just like you i'm not you know i'm not musically trained and i fully understand that people say essentially oh we can't sing but it depends on what you think someone's trying to accomplish when they sing right like are they you know are they on key are they you know you know do they have melodious tones or is there something soulful and kind of ineffable about it something that you can't quite put your finger on that really, really moves you. And I feel like that's what, that's the effect that he had on me. So I can't tell you about, you know, this is, I mean, I can say, oh, this is electric blues because I read something online. Do you know what I mean? But I don't have like knowledge, Um, but I can tell you that, that, you know, he can make me cry just with his voice when he's not saying anything sad or happy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, just this visceral reaction. And so, yeah, it's the combination of this voice that just comes up from, you know, I don't even know where. And then these lyrics that are incredibly poetic, um, sort of very shallow and very deep at the same time, if that makes sense, not shallow, but like very fun and funny. And you could just say, oh, he's just having fun or they're infinitely interpretable. Um, And something about that combination mixed, frankly, with the fact that I was, you know, bonding with my dad, like a girl with her dad, Um, just the whole combination of all of those things. And I love to bring it into the classroom and also ask students, you know, what music did they listen to with their parents growing up?
1: What is the is is there a general reaction you have from from the classes when you do this? Is it just there's a pocket that that are really into it and then there's some that are like "Mm, maybe and then there's another third that are like, yeah, whatever or. Does it change depending on the ages of your of your students?
0: I mean, so so my students are, are all somewhere between obviously like freshman and senior years, right? So somewhere between like 17 and 21. But I do also have um, sort of like older students who know Bob Dylan very well. The one thing I would say that's consistent is that everyone has a strong reaction to it, right? Hmm. So maybe, maybe people have a – no one's like whatever, like you said. You know what I'm saying? Like they're either like very moved, like – you know, or they're like, wow, this man's a terrible singer. Like, why, are you, <laughs> why would you subject us to this kind of thing? Um, and, but one of, but because he's so polarizing in that way, um, I think it, it brings a lot in, you know, in terms of writing responses. And I've also used it as, you know, just playing Bob Dylan and then seeing what sort of creative writing comes out of that as well. So we've done, speaking of Pillbox Hat, we've done sort of like poetry, nonfiction, creative nonfiction and fictional um, sort of pieces in response to this song, um, that they could sort of respond in any way they want to this song. But um, but it has to be this particular song, right, as a, as a prompt. And I've just gotten, so, you know, I mean, it really limitless, different um, interpretations, but always strong reactions. And I think that that's really important when you're using music for your writing. Like I, I almost never write without having music on. Hmm. Um, And so, and actually I listened to Pillbox Hat a ton while I was writing, um, well, writing a lot of my books, but also writing my, my newest book called Weird Girls. Um, And I was also interested with this song about like, who is this woman that he's talking about, you know? And, and, and yes, people have said it's Edie Cedric, but also just this idea of this very eccentric kind of woman Um, This very creative song about this very eccentric kind of woman um, is just very intriguing to me.
1: Yeah. uh, One of the greatest compliments I've ever heard Bob Dylan be given by somebody else was, and again, this is something else I've quoted on the show before. Paul Simon said once in an interview, a television interview um, that one of the things he thought was so remarkable about Dylan was Dylan's ability to convey more than one meaning with a, with a given line. Uh, Just something about the timber of his voice. That, that suggested that there was multiple interpretations as opposed to somebody else singing it where it's clearly this one thing. Uh, but, yeah. And he thought that was sort of extraordinary. And I'm inter- that's really interesting that, that your students could take you know, wildly various takes from what you're handing them. So when you give them the song, are you playing it first as a song or are you giving them the, the written lyrics as a you know, piece of writing first? And what's the order or does it change?
0: Yeah, no, so typically I will play it and project the lyrics um, at the same time. Okay. Um, Mostly, mostly so that, you know, they can also hear and understand what he's saying. Um, And I've gotten such great, I've gotten such great reactions from students. And one of them was to connect um, this song to the, to Nathan Rabin's concept of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. So this idea of, I mean, I have some really smart students at St. Francis. Um, And uh, yeah. So this idea of the, this woman in film who is sort of like the quirky muse who doesn't have sort of like a, a sort of a narrative of her own, but inspires the narrative of the main character and is like beautiful and, you know, manic pixie. Right. And so I thought this was a great connection to make with this song um, of this kind of, Woman that you can interpret really whatever your own stuff is onto, um, and she 's sort of a cipher and kind of like doesn 't have a, a set definition of her own and I really like that when thinking about this song
1: yeah uh, I mean you mentioned e d Sedgwick, and of course again most people have sort of pegged her as the you know the ostensible. Subject of the song, but I mean that's a that's a fool's errand because you never it might it might have been and then the, but that doesn't mean the song's about that. People yeah. have been trying to figure out who Miss Lonely is from like a Rolling Stone for <laughs> sixty years, and it's you know, we're not any closer to figuring figuring that out. The reason I ask about the you know the lyrics versus listening to it is because I think if you read the lyrics on the on the site or you know in a book or wherever you would get them, they come across I think a little nastier. Mm -hmm. And the vocal performance, there's a, there's a, there's a kind of humor in his voice.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: That, that, that I think softens it a little, because again, if you read the the second verse, well, you look so pretty in it, honey, can I jump on it sometime? Yeah. I just want to see if it's really that expensive kind, you know, it bounces on your head, just like a mattress balances on a bottle of wine. You know, (laughs) meaning, you know, not very well, you bring your, your brand new leopard skin, pillbox hat. He, the narrator to me really sounds like a dick. Uh, he's really being mean to this person, but then you hear the, I think when you hear the performance, especially the one that's on the, on the bond on blonde, we'll talk about some of the alternate takes that are even kind of goofier in their own way. It, it has to me just a less nasty vibe to it. I don't know. Do you agree with that?
0: It does. I think, well, as you said, it's funnier and it's also warmer. Um, I think when you hear the, you know, the vocals, and I also think it's um, like flirtier and more sort of erotic than it might sound if you just read the lyrics. Like, you know, there's this, you know, there's this like double entendre to a lot of it where it's sort of like, can I jump on that? It's like, you know what I mean? Like it's it's like yes, destroying the hat, but also like all these different ways of talking about, you know, his desire and also kind of his repulsion for this woman at the same time um that i find really interesting in the song and like you said there's these there's really this like you know different valences to the song at once um you sort of like um you know his being very attracted and repulsed by this um by this woman um and and this kind of kind not kindness but there's a warmth and also like you said um, sort of an attacking uh, uh, more aggressive quality to it. And then of course, there's like as we've talked about, all the different ways it can be interpreted. One of the one of the interpretations I find interesting is the connection with Jackie Kennedy, mm-hmm. um, you know, because she wore she famously wore that that pink pillbox hat the day that you know Kennedy was assassinated. and I found I find that to be also another sort of interesting you know, interesting connection, especially with like Edie Sedgwick and the fact that Warhol had done a famous, you know, has his own famous image of Jackie. And I I think it kind of puts Dylan in conversation with the sort of like politics and culture of, of that, of this time more so than it is about any particular one woman. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously the leopard skin pillbox hat as a, as a decorative piece of fashion, was, as far as I know by 1966, pretty much out, Right. by this point it certainly i mean i can't imagine somebody like edie sedgwick wearing it but yeah so you're like okay well who's the most famous person at, at, at the time well jack yo all right well, okay so what is he is he talking about this person and sort of chiding her for her old fashioned values or is he chiding her for her trying to appropriate a, a persona that isn't real. Uh, We know that Bob loves, Bob loves pointing out fakery in people. That is definitely something, you know, he, the finger point really gets heavy when it's somebody who feels like he's not being genuine. And I always get a little bit of that. Like this person is trying to appear maybe a little more sophisticated and putting on airs uh, with this, with this item that he is, of course, then is mocking. He's going to jump on it. He's going to, you know, he's he's, bounces on your head, like a bottle, like a mattress bounces on a bottle of wine, which is again, terribly. You know, you look terrible. <laughs> in this.
0: Yeah, definitely. and And also just as you say, like he's kind of mocking sort of American culture and pop culture in general. Like even the fact that it was a that that those hats were worn in the military. They are. Yeah, this is something this is something that I found out when I did like further research on the song with my class that, that one of the, this sort of like that sort of hat, the pillbox hat has also been worn in the military. So I, I, we also started wondering as a class, you know, is this, and you know, he's obviously has his sort of famous anti-war sentiment and kind of like critique of America. So we were thinking about, you know, to what degree is this kind of just a critique of American sort of values and, and, and this sort of thing. At the same time, though, since he's so famously anti, you know, these deeper readings, I'm, I'm talking with my class about like, want to be careful not to, you know, create this like scholarly pretentious reaction yeah, when, he also, yeah, right. when he also wants this very visceral natural reaction to his music, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, completely, completely. Uh,
0: Like not to go overboard, which of course, like if you're in academia is hard, right?
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, I did not know that about the military. That's, I don't (laughs) think I ever saw that. Well, you know what, now that you've said it, I'll, 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 I I will throw an an equally obscure pillbox hat reference. What other, one other time is that ever going to come up? Um, The character of Black Widow, you know, in all the Marvel movies played by Scarlett Johansson, Play, you know, she first appeared in the mid 1960s, and when she was when she debuted, she was a villain. She was an Iron Man villain. She's she later got turned into a hero and has been a hero ever since. But her first costume features a pillbox hat. She's literally oh, wearing a pillbox okay. hat because she looks like Jackie O. And now they got rid of that costume very quickly because I think the artist and Stan, the co-creator Stan Lee, realized this is a little impractical. <laughs> we have somebody swinging <laughs> through the city and punching Daredevil. Wearing a pillbox hat, but that was her. She looks like Jackie O is a superhero. That was her first oh, costume. I love, that. So.
0: I love yeah. that. See, I didn't know that. I'm going to go. add this to my, <laughs> to my nice. arsenal of pillbox hats. Full references.
1: of useless comic book trivia over here, and I, I only get it. to dispense it on the show just occasionally. Nice um, to get some more. Yeah. <laughs> so he continues on. He says, Well, if you want to see the sunrise, honey, I know where. We'll go out and see it sometime. both just sit there and stare me with my belt wrapped around my head and you just sitting there in your brand new leopard skin pillbox hat and this it's it's verses like this that to me recall songs like uh queen jane approximately and even like a rolling stone to a certain extent although that's a lot nastier but to me queen jane has that similar i mean you know again the title queen jane it's someone Mm -hmm. who maybe thinks a lot of themselves or at least carries themselves that way but yet the narrator, the singer here is trying to make some entreaties to this person on some level. Now, maybe he's mocking her, but I think if you want to see the sunrise, honey, I know where, we'll just go out and see it sometime. If you just take those lines by themselves, that's a really kind of just sweet turn of phrase to to have.
0: And romantic. Yeah. And also I like the song's focus on seeing throughout, you know what I mean? Like it starts with, Mm it starts with seeing and it has it throughout. And then, you know, this idea of just like sitting and staring at the, at the sunset. Um, Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, that's another thing I noticed just how often he uses see. and I mean, I know he was inspired by lightning Hopkins automobile blues. And I know that that also has, you know, a lot of that same sort of visual imagery.
1: Yeah. It opens Um, with, I see you riding around in a brand new automobile. Yeah,
0: exactly. But I really like that. And I also like it because you know, when we're thinking about the kind of woman that he's at least seeming to address, you know, there's this idea of like this woman who's looked, this very looked at woman, you know, like if, whether it's Edie Cedric, whether it's Jackie Kennedy, whether it's no woman in particular, but it's a, it's the kind of woman who wears a leopard skin, like a very loud piece of fashion, the kind of woman who calls attention to herself, but also just, you know, women are very looked at in general. And I love this idea of like, let's us go and look at things together. Mm. Um, you know, and something like you said, just like simple and romantic and nice and kind of like changing things up a little.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's, he's, he's mocking her, but then he's also reaching a hand out in a yeah. certain extent, you know, he's like, Hey, almost in, some sort of weird, I'll, I can pull you away from this and that can have its own, you know, kind of thicket of problems or the idea of, of maybe rescuing someone. Well, maybe this person doesn't need rescuing. Maybe this person is, you know, happy where they are, I, I you know, who again, we're trying you know, at the risk of way overloading yeah. this song with meaning, yeah. which, yeah. you know, it may be.
0: Which is you know. always my tendency. I have to be really careful. That's my personality type. It's like, how can I over-interpret everything that happens around me? But yeah, you know, it. but but there's some things to interpret in there still, even if you didn't, you know, even if he didn't want you to.
1: Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, it's hey, Bob, you put it on the record, you know, I yeah. mean, it's, yeah. you got to on an album with visions of Johanna and right. sad lady of the lowlands. You have to expect people are going to now pour through every line, even if some of the songs are a little simpler versus some of the others. Uh, so he continues on. Well, I asked the doctor if I could see you, it's bad for your health. He said, uh, you did. Yes. I disobeyed his orders. I came to see you out. Oh, there's the seeing again, but yep. I found him there instead you know, yes. I don't mind him cheating on me, but I sure wish he'd take that off his head. Your brand new leopard skin pillbox. <laughs> and so there's the the niceness is just flushed down the toilet at this point. And now he's talking about the doctor has literally taken this object and put it on his own head, which is uh, you know less than uh, less than desirable result here of this visit.
0: Yeah. And everything's just topsy turvy, right? Like who's cheating on whom, like who the doctor who's sleeping with who, who's wearing the hat. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all just, everything is just switched and turned on its head in this way that it's like kind of exciting. And then I remember also reading that, you know, he did 22, you know, that he made 22 attempts at this song. And he really like, and I, and you know what, like, I'm just going to set this forth of like, that's why I don't a hundred percent just want to say like, you know what, there's nothing to interpret here. It's just a meaningless, like superficial song that he just threw off. You know, I think he was a lot more intentional than
1: that. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dylan you know? is Dylan is famous for, you know, kind of banging, trying to get something down in two, three takes. And if he doesn't get it, he moves on. 22 total takes of this song in in, in several different sessions as well. He That's did right. uh, did five or six and then gave up on it and then came back and then he did 13 more. Uh, and it, that's got to have been, you know, uh, that, that certainly suggests he this was something he really wanted to get down because he didn't give up on it. And as you say, it seems so simple, but yet that's a lot of takes for any song. And, and especially for him, that's a lot of focus to try and get this done. Now, have you heard some of these other ones, because some of them have been released on various bootleg sets over the years. Have you heard any of the alternates?
0: One, so I don't know what it's called off the top of my head, but maybe you will. The one that I most remember is the one that has like car beeping sounds in it.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's the one that really struck me the most in terms of the bootleg sort of other versions of it, that that one really struck me because it's so dissonant And so kind of with these sounds kind of interrupting the song in this, in this way, that's really kind of incredible. And that's the one that really stands out to me most.
1: Yeah. There's, there's take eight, which is, it opens up with the doorbell ringing.
0: Yes. I think that's the one. Yeah.
1: And you hear, you hear a bunch of people go, who's there? And I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) This is like, (laughs) like, why is Bob making a comedy record all of a sudden? Like, what is, you know, what is happening? And, I wish he had retained that for this version. Now the, the that version of the song, it has kind of almost like a stop-start arrangement which I don't mm-hmm. I don't prefer. I feel like it kind of sucks the the air out of the room when he kind of just lets it wind down and then he starts up again. The, I like the the album take, but I really wish it had the the gang of of these this Motley Crew of musicians going, "Who's there?" It's just so silly <laughs> and so goofy that I I love it and I wish he had retained it.
0: Yes. And it's, and also, you know, he's really into humor, Dylan is. And a yeah. lot of people don't, like, you know, he told jokes at his concerts. He, you know, his songs are funny. Um, and 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 I think that that, you know, that version of the song just really
1: sums it up. <laughs> Do you have some of your students, for the ones who are maybe aware of Bob on, on some, you know, macro level, is his, maybe, maybe you can't answer this, but like, is the perception of him that he is not funny? Because obviously he's regarded as this sort of seer and a voice of a generation and all these heady, Nobel prize winning Bob Dylan. But yet he, as you say, he is very funny, but that's not his reputation. And I think to the average person who only knows him as a cultural figure, he comes across as almost like this sort of moral scold, like, Oh, he's the guy singing about, you know, things, injustice when it's, yes, but he's also very funny.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think a lot of my students do pick up on it. And some part of it is just that if they're not familiar with his sound that at first they laugh. That's another thing I've noticed. Um, Because it's so different from what's sort of playing on the radio. Well, there like isn't even a radio anymore today. Yeah. Um, i I'm, I'm, dating myself with that comment, but, um, I mean, like technically there's a radio, but that's not how my students are listening to music. Right. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of laughter. And I, I think in a way, because they, they aren't as familiar with him as his cultural touchstone, the way he was to us. Um, he's funnier to them. He seems funnier to them.
1: That's great. That's good. You know? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it presents more rounded, view of him and his music, you know? I mean, but yeah, he he, did. There's a lot of humor in there. You wouldn't necessarily think that, but again, this song in particular. Uh, So then the final verse, which says, I got to see, well, I see you got a new boyfriend. You know, I've (laughs) never seen him before. Well, I saw him making love to you. You forgot to close the garage door. Ooh. Uh, (laughs) You might think he loves you for your money, but I know what he really loves you for. It's your brand new leopard skin pillbox hat. And like, Boy, what! It's just kind of a kick in the pants in that final verse, and that this 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 person with the pillbox hat is making love. First of all, making love in the garage has a kind of you know a certainly kind of sordid sound to it a little bit. Uh, it's grungy, yeah, <laughs> grungy, yeah, depending on your point of view. But I mean, this person has is in this relationship with the new boyfriend and is okay with the idea that he's there for the money. But it's not even for the money; it's for that dinky hat you're wearing. It's just Oh man, like it's just such Seriously. a kind of like
0: FU. you, and the voyeurism there, right? Yeah. Like, the, like potentially purposefully left open garage door while you know for the lovemaking sesh. You know what I mean? Like that's this is this is voyeuristic.
1: Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, that that line always jumped out at me. Is like, oh, that's just kind of grotesque, there, Bob. But uh, you know, again, it's blonde on blonde is such a strange mix of genuine, heartfelt emotion, and then also kind of acerbic kiss-offs to people, yeah. you know? I mean, he had recorded it just after he'd gotten married, and he writes these beautiful, you know, devotionals to his to his wife, and then there's these other songs over to people where it's like, yeah, get out, just get out of my life, you know? <laughs> like, oh, man, geez. Um, so, again, you know, so specifically for this song, I mean, what did your students... What did the, like, what did they like it? Did they, do they kind of, what's their appreciation of it?
0: I feel like, well, in terms of, you know, when we discuss their responses to it or reactions to it, I feel like the biggest thing that I would hear is the idea that it isn't just about a hat, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that like that, that this hat is standing in for so many possible other things. Um, And that's what I've most enjoyed, um, you know, reading their essays about, or even reading their creative responses that, that you, that sort of use an object that's imbued with all these other possible meanings. Um, And and even, even ways of talking about a generation or a whole culture, a whole, you know, something much larger. Um, I had a student who... Um, you know, used a desk (laughs) to represent like the whole kind of like college student struggle today, you know, um, in a poem, Mm -hmm. like after listening to the song. So this idea of a, an object that, you know, that is, that's grown so heavy with all the meanings that have been sort of heaped upon it um, is one of the biggest reactions I've gotten, um, at least from students, Mm -hmm. uh, when we, when we look deeply at this song.
1: Interesting. Now, live-wise, uh, this has been performed 535 times. Which, again, for, for for most artists, that would be a gargantuan number. For Bob, it's kind of a middling number. Um, it, you know, it was part of his the Electric set. The minute he went on tour with the Hawks, and he's been performing it. You know, basically on and off. His last performance was in 2013. Which, again. You know, for most people, uh, most uh, performers, that's a lifetime. That was a decade ago. But in the in the annals of Bob Dylan, that's just kind of a blip. You know, like well, it might come back into the set list. You never know. <laughs> um, and I will say, um, there was when he got his Kennedy Center honor in 1997, uh, introduced by Gregory Peck. Um, which you know, wow. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, wow. Yeah, wow. Um, he, they played a montage. Of performances of his of different songs, and they play a clip from this song, and it's an incredibly more honky tonk version of it. Uh, I'm not sure who's playing piano in it, but you they just they play about ten seconds of you hear him singing, well I see a you gotcha, and then you hear ba boom ba boom, and whoever is playing piano like is really giving it this wonderfully bar room honky tonk sound, and I love it. And this was 1997. This is just pre-internet. So I had no idea where that version was. And I eventually tracked it down. It was part of the world the Albert Hall shows that he did. Um, wow. But, and it's, you know, but for years, I didn't know what it was. Cause I was like, oh, I want to hear that version. Cause I just love that barroom sound that he brings to it. And again, some of the live versions have been, you know, quite remarkable. I really enjoy some of them. Um, John Mellencamp covered it at the 30th anniversary concert, along with like a Rolling Stone. Uh, But uh, so, yeah, he would, you know, he gave this a lot of outings in the 2000s. If you look through the set lists, it's from 2007 to 2013. He's performing it a couple of dozen times every year. So obviously it's something that he felt, you know, worked well live and he was able to put something across. So obviously he enjoyed it. But then again, he's, you know, then it's retired and that was it. It was released as a single on April 24th, 1967, edited down to two minutes and 20 seconds. The damn song is a little over four minutes, which means half of it has wow. been edited out of the song. I mean, cool. what's the point in that? You're going to take half the song out. That seems kind of, you know, I mean, I, I know this song, it kind of doesn't build. It's sort of just example after example of what he's talking about, but lopping it down by 50% seems a little, little much
0: it's a lot. It's a lot. And, and I think also to your point about how many times he performed it, to me, that goes along with how many times he attempted to get it right. Like Mm. there's a lot, there's, that's a lot of, you know, commitment being made to this song.
1: Seriously. Yeah. And obviously except if, if it was aimed at, or at the very least inspired by Edie Cedric, who again, was part of Andy Warhol's, you know, kind of group of, of people for him to still be playing it 50 years later, Obviously, it's about something else to him because yeah. he's not still picking on Edie Sedgwick fifty years later. I mean, that's you know, exactly. come on, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's you've you've you you, you have to have a, a greater connection to the song than somebody you knew fifty years ago, and you maybe were digging on them a little bit. Um, yeah, fifty
0: years later, exactly.
1: Yeah. Now I am relatively unfamiliar with sort of the general world of Andy Warhol. Uh, I've seen something from it. I certainly know about his pop art work and things like that, but the whole crew, like I know there was this, supposedly he shot a film of Bob where it's just Bob sitting there stone faced for like <laughs> 17 minutes or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I, I have to say that every time I've interacted with anything in the world of Andy Warhol, I just kind of go, mm, yeah, not really getting it and move <laughs> on, <laughs> move on. I don't know where, where are you on him?
0: Well, I mean, so I, I think he's actually a good sort of um, character to put in conversation with Dylan in the sense that they both had these kind of like playful, um, these sort of playful strategies that people didn't always understand. Mm. But I would definitely agree with you that Warhol's is definitely more pretentious than than um, Dylan, right? So, so there's a lot that he's doing that's, as you said, you're watching it and you just really may not get it. Um, But I think some of their kind of playing with their audience and referencing American culture in this sort of like, in in this kind of satirical way, and also just doing these things that and letting the audience interpret them in a way and letting the audience kind of remain uncomfortable and uncertain. um, That's the way that I I would say I see the most connection between um, Dylan and Warhol.
1: Yeah, they definitely both enjoy kind of reflecting the culture back at itself. Yes, and, and in, then, ways,
0: that, in know, ways that make you like, what is happening here? Yeah,
1: like a painting of a soup can. Like, what am <laughs> yes. I, what? And then you're like, well, exactly. all right, I got to think about exactly. it. Like, okay. Uh, yeah, I, again, it's, it's, I've seen bits and pieces of it and I've seen some movies about him and stuff like that and, and whatever. But, but it's so funny that Bob seems so, I, I, when you have every choice available to you, as he did in the mid 60s, where he was about the coolest thing. Walk the earth. I mean, the Beatles were cool, but the Beatles were dispersed over four people. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was all focused on one guy. When you have that many people that want to be part of your world, it had to have been um, intimidating to kind of know which world to enter or which world to dabble in because... Maybe those are not maybe that's not the right way to go. It's for a lot of us, our our options are relatively limited because of just the, the, the circumstances of our lives. But someone like Bob Dylan, he could have been part of any group and they would have welcomed him because of the, the reflected glory of having Bob Dylan be part of it.
0: Exactly. I yeah, and, and I and I think he did, you know, think about who he was interacting with and what, you know, what he was getting involved with.
1: Right. And then you think about after blonde on blonde and then what does he do he strips everything down it's just him and the band up in you know up in new- upstate new york uh just recording these little you know, kind of like old-timey folk songs almost you know just completely taking everything away from what he was doing with with this song so yeah i mean it's the it, it, leopard skin purple hat i will say has never been one of like my all-time favorites um even on the record even on blonde on blonde but just as a general song i've seen it performed live a couple of times and i've seen bob and i go okay it's fine. It is interesting to me that it's a song that he has not really uh, ever changed. Uh, musically yeah. and lyrically, it's kind of the same song. And again, when you think about other songs that just constantly morph, this is, like, for the most part, the words you're going to hear him sing, there's some live versions you can find on YouTube, it's the song that you're going to see here. And so it's, you know, we were talking about that it took him 22 takes to get to it, but it was, once he got it, he's like, yeah, right, I got it. He got it. He got it. Once
0: it. he got it, he held on. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. He realized that, that that was it. So, and I got to wonder, like, you know, did this make it to like Jackie O or something? Did she was that was that in her orbit? That uh, you know, this guy singing about a leopard pillbox hat. You know, or I wonder if she was just so. She had a lot of other things in her mind in the mid 60s. So probably like, you know. Uh... I feel
0: like it's very possible though, because as you said, he was such a, he was such a looming, you know, such a big figure. And, you know, figure. she was interested in pop culture in a way that, you know, people don't always know about her. You know, she was, she was a lot more interested in that stuff than than people knew. So I, I, you know, I haven't done the research to find out like what she knew or didn't know about that or how she felt about that. I also wondered how she felt about Warhol's portrait of her. I mean, all of that, I wondered, you know, and I haven't looked into it, but, um, yeah, I'd be really interested to know.
1: Yeah. Um, so again, regarding your students, have any of them from, to your knowledge, like become genuine fans, thanks to your introducing Bob to them.
0: I mean, I also had students who were big fans when I brought it into class. So it's really hard to say whether I was the you know impetus for it. And I had students who seemed really, who seemed really interested in it and excited about it, but I didn't necessarily track it afterward. You know what I mean? Like to mm-hmm. see, but, you know it it is it is one of the things about being a teacher is just you know introducing young people to different you know to different ideas and cultural figures and and as you say kind of just seeing where it leads sometimes you have to wait 10 years and you know now i've been teaching for 10 years and so i'm starting to see this where i start to see what happens to my first students you know what are they doing now they're old enough you know and now they're publishing on their own or they're teaching on their own or they're doing this or that so sometimes it takes a while to kind of see you know, where all of their education took them. Um, And I love seeing that. And I would love to see, oh my gosh, I would love to see one of my students, you know, do something with Bob Dylan down the line because I introduced it. But, you know, I certainly don't don't put that kind of emphasis on what I do, like, oh, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be what I do that's gonna determine what they do.
1: Now you mentioned uh, to me uh, before we ever recorded. that you've mentioned you've brought up some of his other songs. Is there any sort of um, way you go about that, or is it just what just what strikes you and you feel like it's it's something you can then present, or, or do you have some sort of uh, way of deciding what what songs you do want to bring up to them?
0: I mean. Yeah. I mean, so, so, so much of it has been just, you know, whatever I was obsessed with or listening to at the time or really into, but I guess another motivating factor would be, um, for me would be the, the writing involved since, since I was using them all in writing classes, whether, whether it was academic writing or creative writing, um, and an, another song that students uh, were really interested by the writing of that isn't as popular of a song, right? So the visions of Johanna and all that, you know, I don't think would surprise you, but um, was one more cup of coffee. Hmm. Okay. It's a song that they were really, that they really liked the structure of and kind of were, were really interested by. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the songs I brought in, sometimes I brought them in because I would say like, you know, here, here are some of his famous songs and then here are these other songs, you know, as a way of kind of introducing. Um, maybe it was what I was listening to. Um, maybe it was something that you know we were reading, or we were dealing with, or a certain kind of writing, or a certain kind of symbol, or a certain kind of approach, or whatever it was. Um, and I think with Pillbox Hat, it was just I, I like to bring it in kind of as a riddle, you mm-hmm. know, like here this is, what do you make of it?
1: I really now that you've mentioned it on the show, I really like the idea of the manic pixie dream girl being the sort of the focus of the song. That really I've never considered that. So whoever, whichever student of yours. Came up with that. I like that a lot. That, that, to me, that that has there's a lot of material to mine there of the idea that that's who kind of is the the figure of the song. And of course, that's a a phrase that's been introduced to the culture recently. But but it's always been part of the culture. Just didn't have that name. Thanks to now that, now that it has been. Thanks to Nathan Raven, I believe, like you said. But uh, that's I I like that a lot. Like I'm hearing. It, I'm like, oh, that really makes me think of the song in a slightly different way.
0: Right. I know it's She's like an early MPDG. or whatever it's called. Oh, right. but, and I, I, when I wasn't sure if it's Rabin or Rabin, but yeah, he certainly, and I know that he's sort of had to contend with the fact that he, you know, that he coined this phrase and he's kind of had to defend it and talk about it. And, and I, 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 he needs to be known for more than just this one right. thing, you know, and I don't want to pin sort of pigeonhole him, but yes, this, this was something that a student said that I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah, that is, that is, was that, was that a male or female student? If you can.
0: It was a female student. Okay, (laughs) Not surprisingly. I only say not surprisingly because in a way, you know, I mean, you know what? I have lots of, I have lots of um, male students who are insightful about how women are treated in our culture. So it's really unfair to say, but this particular student was very insightful when it came to you know how women are perceived and treated
1: the, some of the views that um, the singer has again I would call it the singer not Bob yeah. Dylan because it's Bob it's not Bob Dylan it's the singer but some exactly. of the attitudes aimed at um, ostensibly women in these songs can be a bit withering yeah and does that you know listening to it 50 years later I mean it's not exactly fair to compare things that were made 50 years ago and say, well they don't meet the standard of what we think about them now because well it's, it's half a century old and th- you know not everything holds up or things age differently but i mean is there do you feel like bob dylan can can sometimes veer into that a little where it's maybe a little on the not misogynist side but i mean obviously it's it's a point of view if it's a male point of view it has to be because it's it's a male writing the song and singing the song but can do you feel like sometimes it can and at least maybe on some of these songs it gets a little much i feel like it's that can be like, okay, he's being a little little hard on people.
0: I do. I do. Um, and I think it's why I've been so led to think about how to interpret him, um, you know, and like, to what extent is he expressing sort of his, as you, you know, you said sort of like the speaker of the song, right? Like, to what extent is he expressing in any given song just like writers, right? Like, we you know, when, when I teach poetry, we talk about, right, the speaker of the poem, exactly like you said, it's not necessarily the author and the speaker, not always the same. So I always think about, and I think about with my students, because you always want to think about this when you're reading, but yeah, to what extent is, do we take this, do we take him at face value? At what extent are these, to what extent are these his views? To what extent is he maybe even critiquing these ways of treating or viewing mm-hmm. women? So it's like, it's very hard to say and um and i'm and i've certainly thought about that a lot <laughs> over the years
1: yeah i many years ago i read about uh this theory this this term it was called ant, the anti comic and the theory of the anti comic yeah. is someone who instead of pointing out the foibles in others which was you know for decades the standard of kind of humor it this person embodies those flaws Exactly, and it's it's that you know, like Bill Murray was kind of a a person who kind of took that on, Steve Martin in the seventies, and sometimes I think, and that can be the danger, and that's you know, Bob runs into that being a performer, but that you know, the, whoever is singing this song is not Bob Dylan; it's the narrator, and the narrator can be flawed and have things that we don't agree with, and that's not Bob Dylan; that's the narrator, and that can be a fine line. To walk yeah i
0: think I think that um, especially since he 's so famous, that everybody assumes that every single thing that he puts out is his personal right. is, you know, bob dylan 's personal thoughts or feelings
1: yeah
0: um, and as you say it's it 's so important to separate to separate the two, and then there are times when you shouldn 't right like and, and I think You know, I think we can ask ourselves this with any kind of art, right? Like, you know, to what extent should somebody be sort of taken to task for what they've created? You know, to what extent are they just being satirical? To what extent are they actually critiquing the thing instead of supporting the idea? You know, and, and then it gets into really, you know, really interesting and complicated questions about interpretation.
1: Absolutely. And he said all that from a song that seems so simple, which is Leopard Skin, Phil exactly. Fox hat. Um, exactly. So,
0: well, The like Warshak test, you know what I mean? It's like the simpler the thing in a way, the more people project their own stuff onto it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, uh, Caroline, thank you so much for, for coming on to talk about this song. Um, it, was a, it was a blast getting to know you and getting to talk to you about this.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This is so thrilling given my feelings about Bob Dylan and his and his work. So this was really fun.
1: So uh, before I ask you to tell people where they can find you on the internets, and I want you to talk about your book a little bit before we sign off here. Uh, now normally the question I've been asking people and the sign off is what album sessions would you want to sit in on if you could sit on any album? Now you you are free to answer that question if you want, but I think, Given what your background is and how you've been interacting with Bob in terms of your students, I'm going to change the question to where, let's say there's a, um, a Dylan Tribute concert, right, Caroline? And you're, mm-hmm. you're, you've been selected to go first. Now, you're not going to sing because, you, again, you say you're not a singer. We're not going to make you sing. But they're going to like, we want you, Caroline, to read one of his songs as a piece of poetry. <laughs> so what song out of his catalog would you if you were going to go first and you wanted to set the tone what song of his would you want to read do you think would just read well as a piece of writing
0: uh strangely enough i'm sticking with my one more cup of coffee okay <laughs> all right i really like it i really like it for its um for its structure
1: Okay. That's yeah. <laughs> fair, enough, and a lot, fair
0: enough. And a lot of people aren't familiar with it. So I like, I like that idea too of, um, I mean a lot of people who aren't, you know, hardcore fans. Oh yeah.
1: No, um, it's an obscure. Yeah. song.
0: yeah. And so I, yeah, I think that, I think that might be the one.
1: Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. So, okay. Like I said, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet and mention your book that you have your new book coming out, coming out in uh, November. Mention that please.
0: Oh, great. Yeah. So yeah. So I just caroline. dot com is my website. Um the book Weird Girls is uh is I mean as you could probably tell from this whole session is I'm interested in weird things. Um so this book is about the concept of the art monster. Um so in in 2016 Jenny Offill writes in her novel her character says I was going to be an art monster but I ended up being a mother instead essentially. And so this idea of the art monster, you know, the the artist who gets to dedicate him or herself completely to their work, and how women sometimes aren't allowed access to this. And so, so many women writers have been writing about this idea. And I just thought, you know, I'd really like to write a book about it. Um, so it's really about creative women and about the connection between monstrosity and creativity. And it's about weird girls like me. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope you will help you will pick up a copy.
1: All right. Outstanding. So again, thank you so much for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, and of course, uh, everybody, if you want to find back episodes of the show, go to our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan and any podcatcher of your choice. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash FWpodcast like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Stority, Joaquin Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Superman's pal, Henry Bernstein. So that's going to do it. Thanks everybody for listening. And we will see you later. Pop art, op art, underground movies, call it what you will, these two are the leaders. No party in New York is considered a success unless they are there. It's hard to explain this young lady and man. They say they don't want to be explained. One is a beautiful actress, and she calls herself a superstar. The other is a creator of pop art. So here are the two leading exponents of the new scene, Edie Sedgwick and Andy Warhol. Thank you.